looks like a horse. He does. <laughs> That's why he can jump so fast. Do you want to go back on Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Wrinkled Rabbit Podcast. As always, I am Bill Borowski. I'm Edward Rebel. I'm Jason Snyder. I'm Drew Erler. And this week we're talking about a little pick of mine. It is Scott Pilgrim versus the World. And I'm going to just jump into Six Degrees of Separation because I just got that right in front of me. Last week's movie was The Northman, which happened to star or co-star Anya Taylor-Joy who also co-starred in another little movie called Last Night in Soho, which happened to be co-written and directed by Edgar Wright, who also co-wrote and directed this week's movie, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. So pretty quick, easy, clean six degrees right there, if I do say so myself. But I picked Scott Pilgrim vs. the World this week because I just really wanted to rewatch it. And it's been a hot minute. It's one of those movies I rewatch basically every year or so. And it kind of has a rep of being a toxic film bro movie. And toxic toxic film bros, bros definitely do like that movie or this movie. Uh, but I figured with Fight Club, we kind of talked about how there's a bit more. And it's, it's mostly people not really getting the movie. How you're not really supposed to like Scott toward the very end, if anything. It's one of my favorite movies of all time. Edgar Wright's one of my favorite directors of all time. And this was the first Edgar Wright movie I had seen. And I saw it at like 12, 13 years old. So it kind of blew my noggin away. And it was like, oh, you can do this with filmmaking. And basically ever since then, I've been an Edgar Wright fanboy. And I'll watch anything that man does. So I know everyone had seen it before. I know everyone liked it. So I also thought it would just be a fun revisit discussion just kind of a fun easy week for the most part so what'd you guys think upon this revisit of scott pilgrim versus the world honestly doesn't hold up didn't like it at all (laughs) (laughs) i'm just kidding it was like it's one of those movies probably the only movie for me i'm thinking about it that like i know cover to cover and like Every beat is just so familiar. It proceeds at the exact same pace every single time. So it's immensely comforting in that regard. I rented it, or my sister rented it at Blockbuster one weekend when we were visiting my grandma. And we watched it like four times over the course of two days. It was that rewatchable. And I feel like you could easily watch it like once every couple of months if you really wanted to without like getting totally sick of it you could watch it like day after day after day and i feel like you couldn't get tired of it the style is so entertaining uh i love the like the comic book nature of it and the video game nature of it like the stylistic blend and the look of it just fits into that comic book category so much better than like marvel movies are doing right now and i think about like sam raimi's spider-man that's probably the only other thing that came kind of close to mimicking like a full-on comic book style into the spider-verse too 
Yeah, but that's yeah. animated. Um, that's literally like a comic book, basically. <laughs> Speed Racer also is not comic oh, book, yeah. but also like live action kind of cartoon-ish, like anime-ish nature, because this also definitely has a sense of a shonen kind of anime feel to it. I don't know. I don't know who here's read uh, all the comic books. I knew we were talking about it this week, so I was like, "All right, I'm gonna finally, finally bite the bullet and uh, read them." And I've just finished the third one, uh, third volume. I haven't finished it yet, but like, I'm, I'm like at the halfway mark. Got no, it. I'm halfway through four, so I'm almost done. Yeah. So you've noticed then that like. There's large sections of this that are just frame for frame what's going on in the comic book, which yeah, amazed frame for frame, me. Line for line. Yeah, like I was, I watched the movie. I'd seen the movie a couple times before I read the books, and I was like, "This is literally like watching the movie when I was reading the comic books because of how tightly it it follows it follows them. It has to be one of the most faithful adaptations out there." Yeah, but I will say this, with that comic, it's, like, I mean, any comic or, like, uh, original source material that's a bit longer, it's just a bit, has a bit more depth to it, like, the supporting characters have a lot more to do, like, there's a whole subplot about Kim moving and her living situation, and stuff like that, where characters that only have, like, a few little moments to shine, but still really shine, have, like, a full kind of arc and like uh life to them in the comic that you can't really do in a two-hour movie but in the comic you definitely get a lot more of that like the third volume is literally just the uh scott and envy kind of arc of the story which is like 10-15 minutes in the movie but with the books or the comic books, it's like a full like 200, 250 page section of the story. Can you imagine Edgar Wright getting a TV show where he could make the entire comic? Well, they are doing a uh, anime on Netflix, supposedly. Oh, wait, who who did anyone watch Scott Pilgrim versus the animation or whatever that was called? I did. What was that? It was a three-minute short that kind of uh, gave minutes. background to uh, <laughs> how Kim basically dated Scott. And that is literally the frames of the comic, that section of the comic, recreated in animation, which is really cool to see. I don't know if that's just the YouTube link I watched, but uh, it was definitely kind of weirdly synced in terms of the animation and the uh, dialogue. Yeah, another thing about this that I just love, and I guess this is something that comes out with all of Edgar Wright's movies, but you can tell that everybody involved is just enjoying themselves and having a great time. And yeah, you can just feel the energy in the in the tone and in just um, the like the comedic style. Obviously, like everybody is bought into this like funny sense of humor. It's almost like the whole movie is. Um, Michael Sarah's personality put into film, uh, which is just hilarious. Yeah, no, all the characters are like infinitely rem- or infinitely memorable. There we go. Uh, like even Matthew Patel, who just shows up, does a yeah. dance, and fucking takes a kick to the or a punch to the face and is obliterated. Like him, 
Chris Evans pops up and he's great. Um, the Brie Larson name, yeah, Brie Brie Larson. Larson's in there. There's so the, many uh, people. The vegan dude, like everybody, is so hammed up to comic book level that I feel like there's no dull character within the entire film. Even Anna Kendrick, she doesn't have anything to do, but she's entertaining. And Aubrey Plaza has less to do. Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like she just shows up as color commentary, basically. Like, she doesn't really <laughs> do anything. But she has one of the best scenes in the movie, which is when she uh, is... Or one of the best, like, bits in the movie, I think, which is when she's, like, swearing and it, like, bleeps out. Oh. And Scott's like, how are you doing that? <laughs> like, she's, like, physically doing it, which I thought was really funny. <laughs> And then she calls him Bleep Pilgrim, which I was always like, what swear is she saying there? She's just saying, fuck Pilgrim or whatever. But yeah, there's like little jokes everywhere in this movie, which also adds to the to the rewatchability. Yeah, I got a pee with the, the pee meter. Mm-hmm. The world's shortest cinematic pee. Everyone, every single person I've watched the movie with goes, that's a really short pee. <laughs> so it's just funny to me that like they decided to make that a detail in the movie like he pees for two seconds or even less i don't even know how long it is especially because the bar was full there's mm-hmm. no way <laughs> emptied out that quickly yeah kind of going off those little moments and just how every character is kind of memorable matthew patel i'll always every anytime i see a pirate now i'll just hear pirates are in this year and just stuff like that like every like throwaway line is like just as memorable as the last yeah i think matthew patel is my favorite of the ex-boyfriends something about like how pathetic he is and like easy to beat even though uh scott didn't even know what was going on at that point um and then the song that he sings i love the song it that's the moment for me that the movie like started to burn itself into my memory because i remember my experience of watching the movie for the first time where we just like rented it my family like rented it from Redbox, and i was like what is this like i don't want to watch this and then (laughs) and then we did watch it and i was like really uncomfortable during most of it because i was watching with my parents and i was like 11 or something and i didn't really like know if something inappropriate was going to happen but it was all like it was also fun because of how unpredictable and bizarre it was and that Matthew Patel scene just like sets the tone for what the rest of the movie's going to be like so well and the the executions on uh, all the bosses i i guess we could call them or the exes that's probably easier <laughs> Um, they all have great deaths, like, uh, Chris Evans sent him down the skate ramp and his speed is like hitting Mach 10 or whatever. And he fucking explodes at the end of the, the walkway. Um, and then, uh, wow. What's her name? The girl evil X. I always it's forget. It's like her a name. pun of some kind. Her name in the movie. Yeah. I meant her, the actor's name. Oh. oh, Mae Whitman. Yes, Mae Whitman. Uh, her execution is touching the back of the knee, and she orgasms to to death. Like yeah, she kills all, herself. They're they're all not 
they're not the same, which is why, like, if a movie like this had the same death over and over again, I think it would get too repetitive. But each death is, like, very unique in some way. Even the vegan guy, like, now you once were a vegan, now you will be gone. And the, the band battle with the twins, I always love that. Uh, where they have like the monsters come out and actually battle like an actual battle of the bands uh that might be my favorite action sequence that that a uh, music battle where the gorilla spawns and the two dragons last year right when theaters started opening up again because of covid they re-released this in dolby atmos and getting to Holy see that shit. sequence in dolby atmos is like insane all that greats movies have insane sound mixing and sound editing but this was like uh, it, it was just another level seeing it uh, remastered like this and <laughs> watching it again i was like oh man like it it, it kind of peaked because i was like i'm seeing it that way you're like that is like the best possible way to watch this movie because you hear every single th- tiny sound effect or anything and the music is just blaring over the like 27 speakers it's it's basically a rock concert come to life Mm. yeah because that was like that was the 10th anniversary re-release right yeah which i mean it speaks to the it speaks to the cult classic status that this movie reached that like how many movies get a 10th anniversary re-release i feel like that just doesn't really happen very often like every year is the 10th anniversary of some movie that was big at the time that it came out. But like, I feel like this movie is the definition of a sleeper hit where it just like has gotten more popular each year after it was out in theaters originally. Yeah, because I mean, it bombed. And now I feel like with nerd culture being where it is and also superhero comic book movies being where they are now, it's almost like it was a just like a few years too early because we were just kind of getting more of these adaptations done in a more successful way. And also it kind of had that indie look and feel to it. So people were probably like, what the hell is this? This ain't Batman, this ain't Iron Man. But now I feel like it ranks as one of, if not the best comic book movie because of its faithfulness and dedication to the source material and how much it embraces and loves this comic book sensibility and as well obviously the video game sensibility it's the best video game movie that's ever come out can it be called a video game movie bandersnatched that's a video game movie Uh, yeah Yeah. but scott pilgrim's better (laughs) that's probably closer to a video game than that than a a movie movie. i don't know Yeah. yeah Uh, I went and looked at the the box office, and they did not go positive. But uh, I also saw the countries that it got releases in. And it's the U.S., U.K., and Japan, which I think is uh, pretty telling of the audience that they were going for. Very uh, anime-oriented, I imagine. That makes sense. Yeah, this is a super visual movie. I wouldn't be surprised if it did well overseas. Uh, it doesn't look like it. <laughs> but, uh, Bill, you were talking about like the sound design and everything. And on top of that, I think the music is actually great. Like Sometimes you watch a movie with songs written into like performance for the characters, and they're kind of meh. But 
after watching this movie, I always love to put on like Sex Bobomb and uh, uh, the fucking Brie Larson song was good. Yeah, too. what's what's her band? I always forget their name. The Clash. Clash. The Clash. Yeah. Demon the Clash. Head. Okay. But that uh, Black Sheep song is actually a cover on a metric, a song by Metric. And even the band said, like, okay, Brie Larson, you kind of own this song. <laughs> but another thing about the music, Beck helped write the music for, like, Sex Bob-omb and stuff. And I love Beck. <laughs> and it's kind of cool to have him make this kind of grungy rock music. I don't know. It, it's it's not the type of sound you'd expect Beck to have. Except for, like, the Ramona. The Ramona song just sounds very much like Beck. I forgot that Beck did all the music. Plus, uh, they released an extended version of the soundtrack. If you, I mean, for the tenth anniversary, they did like an extended soundtrack, uh, re-release. They re-released the game that is amazing. It's an amazing like old school beat 'em up game that was available for a while, unavailable for a while. But even the extra songs that were in, they're not. You can kind of see why they're cut, but they're so good still. I mean, it's a great score and soundtrack. Is there an extended edition of the movie? Not to my knowledge, no. Where did the where did the extra songs come from? Like he just wrote a bunch and they chose which ones to put because I guess the songs were interchangeable. Like they could be singing any song besides the garbage truck song. Yeah, some of these are like labeled as acoustic demo idea and like bonus track and that kind of stuff. Whereas like they probably just like recorded a few different versions of songs and stuff just to see what worked best there was one joke that actually gave me uh straight story vibes when he made it, it was around the time of the matthew patel email because <laughs> he, he went to his computer he's like what's the what's the uh, what's the address uh, what is it the url for yeah what's what's the web.ca it's like amazon.ca it reminded me of that 911 uh Joke and straight three story. Three Koken brothers. Yeah, he, I think speaking he's of definitely the sort funniest. of that thing too, because that was Wallace. That said three that. of I them. Loved, Kieran uh, Culkin, Macaulay Culkin, and there's one more. Oh, Wallace we don't talk about that. The one. kid from Mean Creek. Also a Culkin's brother. It made a lot and he was also in the time. Waco, um, uh, but like miniseries yeah. they did on Hulu. I don't know. I guess the last two or whatever times I'd seen this, I really appreciate just how. Hilarious. Yeah, he honestly <laughs> steals the movie for me, and uh, Kieran is. I don't. I don't think anyone think here watches Succession, but and I, I remember when I first started Succession, I was like, "Oh my god, it's and, uh, Wallace!" And now Kieran, Kieran Culkin's like Wallace winning Emmys and shit. It's cool and, uh, to see him kind of take Scott off. Scott jumps straight out the window, and I just remember he was just like scene stealer in this movie. Every single time he showed up on screen, he was just so like quote daily or not daily watch, but basically. often and like hilarious bread makes you fat one yeah that's a good one bread makes you that's fat? an all-time that's an all-timer that one uh drew i have a question for you i bet you know what the question is gonna be yes do you have a letterbox review by chance i think i think i do all right now it's that time for a little segment we like to call listen you little wiseacre I'm smart, you're dumb. I'm big, you're little. I'm right, you're wrong. And there's nothing you can do about it. And it's the segment where we pick a letterbox review, we read it, goes over the flip side, uh, other side, more negative side of the perspective we're talking about today. We read it and give our counterpoints or thoughts and why they should give it another another chance when um, we watch. So I picked the review, and then as I was looking at this person's four favorite movies, um, I looked at their profile picture, 
and it could be an old picture of them, but they look like they're like 12. So keep that in mind as we're reading their review. Okay. Um, their four favorite movies. Well, I have a baby picture of me. Yeah. In mine. So you're like a, you're like a. So they might be grown up by that's now. That's true. Um, their four favorite movies are Titanic, Jurassic Park, Psycho, and Knives Out. So, you know, pretty, I feel like, middle-of-the-road type person. Pretty standard. Um, And they gave Scott Pilgrim two and a half stars. And this is what they said. Super disappointing. Edgar Wright is such a hilarious director, but this movie wasn't funny at all. His other films are far superior. The entire film has a pretty good style, and the video game feel was nice, but this movie just seems embarrassing. <laughs> it's not funny at all, and none of the characters are likable. The fight sequence with Chris Evans was great, and some of the other fight sequences that looked and felt like a video game were great, but the rest wasn't at all great. A kind of rewatchable film uh, because of its style, but a film that just left a bad taste in my mouth. <laughs> it's, a, it's a few great moments... It has a few great moments, and that definitely helped it. But the moments that weren't great were kind of horrible, in my opinion. That makes for a really mixed film that is only okay edging into bad. I don't know why I picked this review now that I'm I'm reading it. I think I was just <laughs> trying to get away from the reviews that were talking about how, like, Scott is actually a terrible person. But <laughs> that was really funny, that review. <laughs> I think you were right, Drew. I think it is a little kid. I think they're 12. That's <laughs> probably a little kid. Yeah. I don't really know what to say to this. The, the moments that weren't great were kind of horrible, in my opinion. My thing with this movie is it is so cringy. Like, everything that anyone ever says is so cringy, but that's what I love about it. Like, The Office is a great show, and I get that people don't like cringe humor, but you should be able to recognize where good cringe comes from. And I think with this movie, they might have had a similar, exp sorry, similar experience where they just didn't vibe with the cringe. <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if I really consider this to be like cringe humor, even if it's like trying to be like a different breed of cringe humor, like you're saying. Not like office cringe. No, I know. Not like Nathan for yeah, you, no. but like cringe more like everything is supposed to be like lame, <laughs> like lame on purpose. Is that what you're saying? I just think of the fact that like Scott is dating a high schooler. And his relationship with her is, we do lots of things, you know. We ride the bus, we hold hands, and um, maybe one day we'll kiss. Uh, and even Mae Whitman's kill, like touching the back of the knee and her orgasming to death. Like, I think of things like that, where it's just so over the top that it's hitting the roof of cringe, but it's not like... It's not pushing it to, like, office level where you're like, dear fucking lord, 
these fucking characters. It's not. It's no Scott's tots. I I feel like there oh, is God. a little bit of that experience. <laughs> there's a little bit of that, but there's also a sense of kind of self-aware nature to the characters. I I don't want to say it's like breaking the fourth wall, yeah. but there there there's the tone of the movie is very aware of what it is and what kind of movie it is. That's why I don't think I would classify it as cringe or like i see what you're saying and i think i agree but i don't know if cringe is the best word for it fair yeah um because it definitely doesn't hit like office level of uh of cringe <laughs> um i think the self-aware aspect definitely helps yeah it. i i also think um obviously i can't tell from this review and it's impossible to tell unless they straight up say it in the review but just generally, as a rule, uh, if you're go- if you watch this movie like by yourself as just like your movie tonight, you're probably not gonna like it as much as if you like watched it with for your first time. If you're like watching it with a group, because um, that's part of like what makes a cult movie a cult movie is your reminiscing about like your experiences of watching the movie your previous experiences or your current experience like as you're watching it and it's supposed to be kind of a collective thing you're not going to watch the room by yourself it's just going to suck and this isn't like a bad movie like the room is but it is a movie that i think needs to be watched with a group and experienced collectively for the first time well maybe not for the first time but i think it's a movie that benefits in a crowd. It's definitely a movie that plays well in a crowd. But I, I mean, I feel like it can stand on its own. And if you do watch it by yourself the first time, you're not really losing anything. But you do add a lot to the experience if you're watching it in a crowd. Because when everyone knows the lines and everything, you have people like quoting it. And the energy is just a lot more lighter when watching it and it just it, it's it's much more of that concert kind of party atmosphere and i think this mm-hmm. is one of those best kind of group watch movies yeah agreed um also i found the kid whose review that we read he has a youtube channel and his last post was eight days ago and he's definitely still a child so i don't know when he reviewed this but he was at <laughs> least a child at the time <laughs> So we just did we just did a takedown of like a fourteen year old kid's Letterboxd review. We just put a bl- a child on blast. We've descended into a dark, <laughs> dark place. Um, one thing that I I really like about this movie is the kind of like play on American culture versus Canadian culture that sort like sort of finds its way into the mix, and maybe. I can't remember for sure, but it might have been like more clear in the comic. But just the whole like Ramona being American and she has like magic powers basically because she comes from America where they have like access to all this different stuff. Like she has access to like the dream shortcut they, pathways. They, they touch on that a lot more in the comic. That is almost like a throwaway thing in this where it's actually kind of... From what I hear, I haven't finished it yet, but, like, the ending is different, and that's, like, a central part to the ending. Yeah, like, that whole... And so, like, it sort of seems like, to me, at least, the whole, like, he's fighting the evil exes, and, like, the way that the crowds are, like, reacting whenever this stuff is happening is usually just, like, confusion. And it seems like 
like this is something that happens in america but everyone's canadian so like what the heck is going on with these evil exes and stuff which i always thought was a really funny dynamic like especially in the matthew patel thing how like everyone in the audience is just kind of like standing there and doesn't really <laughs> know what's happening my favorite is the Kadnagi twins fight where they're literally tore the roof off the place and then they summon these monsters and everyone's just like oh yeah it's a rock concert sweet <laughs> yeah which speaking of the because we talked about how cool that scene is uh and it's definitely i feel like one of the highlight fights because of like the music and then they pull out all the stops with the visual effects and stuff which i think is really effective for a part of the movie where i i mean it always kind of feels like to me they're rushing through to get to the seventh x because seven is a lot to cover in two hours and so like doing two at once and kind of rushing through and not giving them any dialogue or like really talking about why or how ramona dated them it's like really effective the way that they patch it by like adding all these extra elements in order to carry the that that sequence yeah i also think that comes with the fact that they're adapting like a six volume like thousand page story basically where they're kind of spending their time setting up the characters and everything and then the page just goes boom 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 toward the end but i will say this the one time i feel like the movie does dip is like right after ramona goes with gideon and that you have that typical rom-com like they kind of fall apart and then they get back together i'm not gonna lie sometimes when i watch the movie by myself i just skip that sequence to when he earns the power of self-respect because i've just seen the movie so many times and i'm like i don't need to watch this again <laughs> i agree with that i can't even really tell you what happens in that in that frame well i remember it's funny because he's sort of just like sitting at home feeling bad about himself and wallace is like telling him he needs to move on like blah 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 and then he gets the message from gideon and then wallace is like nah actually you should go kick his ass <laughs> that that part's always funny. And then um, when Knives bursts in, the first time that he goes to battle everybody, when he had the sword of love, not this, before the self-respect one, when Knives burst in and she's like, no, I'm here to fight Ramona. It just like zeroes in on Ramona. Like everything else goes black except her face. And she's like, what? <laughs> and then they just start fighting. She, the whole during the whole fight like she's defending herself but she's also just like why is this happening what's your problem <laughs> i always love yeah i always love that mini arc like that scene where knives is with her friend who like also doesn't really care about what's going on with knives which i think is funny <laughs> yeah um and like that like miniature vendetta she has that's never really given the it's not like granted the seriousness that knives like gives it um which is yeah that makes it like really really funny when like she jumps in and she's like trying to kill like literally murder ramona <laughs> like anything else we want to bring up or final thoughts time title it, they took the title from the <laughs> second volume i think uh honestly i thought about it a little bit and uh it's kind of a thing that it reminds me of like a 12-year-old looking at the world and going, everybody hates me. Mm. It's me against them, you know? Uh, and I feel like Scott kind of falls into that, like, confused, edgy, awkward era or feeling. That's a good one. 
So he's pit himself against the world. Yeah, and also he kind of does have a 12-year-old sense of mentality. He does feel like that's just stunted child who doesn't really know how to confront his issues and realize his problems. Uh, so I think that works really well. A little more depth than just uh, your normal kind of Scott Pilgrim the movie. I, don't I, know. I just wanted to ask too because you brought it up at the beginning as well. But is that sort of why um, this movie gets a little bit of hate? Because I know that I've I've read some things where people feel like he is redeemed at the end and doesn't deserve it or doesn't learn anything or they're just like really harping on all the bad stuff from earlier on. Um, I mean, it has it has some of the like gender politics uh like trappings that comedies of the like mid to late 2000s and like 2000s early 2010s culture just had in general like wallace being gay and like being the way he is can be seen as kind of regressive um like the whole love triangle thing being treated the way it was is can kind of be regressive but like that's just like what that's just like what a lot of movies were like back then and so i don't know like i don't really see the point of hating on a movie that existed at a time way in the past you know it is that is true though how crazy uh it is that the comedy really is entrenched in like that the 2000s in that sense because the rest of it doesn't feel like that at all in any sense you know um it's like you couldn't it's like you couldn't make comedy without being offensive in some way back then. And even today, like yeah. comedians are yeah. trying to like safeguard their right to offend people, which is I don't know, really strange to me that like they're so closely knit. But that's a different podcast that we will never have. Final thoughts, Tom? <laughs> um, I guess I'll start for final thoughts. Uh Go for it. This movie's great. I mean, I probably I might watch it once a year. It's just one of those movies that's very, very um, comforting in how, like, the beats are the same and you can, like, it just proceeds at a very familiar pace Um, because I've seen it so many times. And in that way, I got what I wanted because it was Scott Pilgrim yet again. (laughs) Yeah, I, uh, even if I'm not in the mood for a movie or having, like, a horrible day and I don't want to sit down and watch anything... Uh, this is a movie where if I put it on, I just immediately am immersed, sucked in, and I have to finish it, and I enjoy the whole thing, start to finish. Um, There's not been a time where I put this movie on and I was like, nah, not today. It's genuinely so unique in its style that I pray, and we kind of are, um, People are making more stylistic choices in movies, but uh, but there's nothing like this, um, and there doesn't necessarily need to be, but it it is a very cool style, and I would love to see someone give it a try. I guess. Yeah, I think the sheer volume of like little gags and um, jokes. I mean, stylistic choices. All the all that um, makes for this. Uh, to be super rewatchable. Um, this movie even has, we're about to spin a wheel and this movie has a wheel in it where there's, he was spinning in the, in his head. Um, that conversation, it's just so funny how like there's so many different, um, 
different like fourth wall breaks that this the, the movie takes um and none of them really follow like a similar pattern it's all like i almost wonder how they they went through that process like if they're as they're writing they um well actually oh, wait a second you guys said that this was based like very closely off the comics were a lot of the visual gags like that from there as well or was that just edgar wright's uh choice some of them are okay I guess that makes sense, but it's just, it was always amusing to me how, um, how unique, but, uh, similar, uh, similarly, they followed a lot of the other gags while standing out in their own way. But yeah, just again, super rewatchable, uh, always find something new to appreciate in this each time watching it. And yeah, it's always going to be a good pick if it's an Edgar Wright pick. Yeah, I'm. I'm honestly kind of proud of myself that I held off this long, so I didn't like blow my load too early on an Edgar Wright pick. Yeah, because he's one of my favorite directors. I love almost everything he's done. Last Night in Soho was decent. It, it definitely wasn't as good as I think his other movies were, but but I have a special kind of connection to Edgar Wright because I feel like he, he was the filmmaker alongside like Scorsese that kind of opened my eyes of like, oh, you can make movies in like, there's a person behind the movie basically. And I think hot fuzz is still my favorite of his. That's like a top 10, five movie for me. I love hot fuzz, but this is very close behind. And so is like every other Cornetto movie. Uh, all his movies are so rewatchable, but I think this is kind of like, Edgar Wright in kind of a nutshell. This, all his sensibilities, and I think this is like the best kind of movie to introduce someone to his filmography. And with that being said, I think it's time to find out what we're going to be talking about next week. And that means one thing and one thing only. It's time to spin that wheel. So Drew, who's it going to be? It can be literally anyone but me. It's me. We're going to watch Could Not Be Any Different. Could not go any further, I don't think. We're going to watch a little time travel film uh, they like to call Primer. This is a movie notorious for being like one of the most confusing time travel movies, if not one of the most confusing movies in general. Um, I was first drawn to it because there's a diagram that you can find uh, just Googling of like the way that the time traveling works. And it's like a mess of boxes and lines and it's insane. And so I've seen this movie once, could not figure it out, but love like the how much they were able to do with such a tiny, tiny budget. Um, and so I'm looking forward to try to solve the puzzle this time. <laughs> nice. I'm very excited. I've been wanting to watch this for a while now, and I'm glad we finally are able to kind of talk about it. I feel like it's going to be a good episode. Basically, like, I feel like it's going to be like the Holland Drive episode where it's just like us trying to figure out what the hell happened. <laughs> so I'm very excited to see that or uh, see Primer and finally get into the puzzle box. Thank you to King Liam as always for the great yeah. intro and natural music. Yeah. Uh, hey, uh, just doing the outro really quick on my phone because the audio kind of got a little messed up because I had a bunch of dogs barking in the background. Uh, you could kind of hear them throughout, but my dogs kind of got a little crazy at the end. But with that being said, uh, check out our Instagram page at Wrinkled Rabbit. Check out our film that we're about to be shooting. Not just about to be shooting, we're actually shooting it by the time you're listening to this. 
at Acquainted WT Knight. You can also check us out on Facebook, Acquainted with the Knight Film. And we'll see you all next week for some complicated time travel. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.